Wired helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast by the Muslim Vibe, sponsored by Wahid Invest. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim, and I'm joined this week by Barak Hussain. Barak, assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam. Thank you for joining us all the way from Ottawa. My pleasure. And for bringing the cold weather with, with I, yourself as well. I am terribly sorry. I could not believe that there was snow this morning here, <laughs> and it's over 10 degrees in Ottawa and sunny over there. Well, I'm hoping that when this podcast actually goes out, the weather's a lot better, so people will think we're crazy. But, but at the time of recording, it's, it's one of those classic, I think the beast from the east is what they're calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, it's been chilly. It let's, has been. Let's just put it that way. It's colder than our minus 30 weather, I find. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes, because you don't have the central heating. Um, and it's just a, a cold in the bones, I find. We're not well equipped here. And I think, I think it is a different cold. Like whenever I've, I've been to like even hot countries, it's like because of humidity and everything else. I mean... This is so off topic as to what we're going to be discussing, but... But it has an effect on our mood and our energy, absolutely. That's a nice segue onto um, the topic of uh, mental health. Um, so so for the regular listeners on the Muslim Vibe podcast, you'll know that we did a podcast with uh, Barak about a month ago, right. um, entitled Real Talk, where we're looking at... Uh, or we've actually asked you guys to submit your questions online for Barak, and, and, and she's generously um, given her time to talking through them and then hopefully we can start raising more awareness I think within the Muslim community about the reality of, of mental health problems um, and I think that's something you've been working on and I know you know in your time in London you've been giving talks in Islamic centres up and down the country pretty much the good thing about the UK as well is that our country is quite small so you yes. can go up and down the country whereas in Canada I learned the hard way <laughs> I couldn't just visit my, my relatives in Vancouver um, from Ottawa because it's like an eight-hour flight um, yeah, uh, I think should we should we get started straight away? Um, so I think we've got seven or eight questions to go through. Um, the first one says, uh, "I'm concerned about a young person in our community. Um, he's smoking marijuana and maybe other substances. He says he can stop, but I don't think he can. And he's been indulging more and more recently. He doesn't seem to care about his health or his future much, and seems unable to help himself." This is quite common in terms of addictions, and this is what this young man could be experiencing here or dealing with, a form of addiction, especially if he's saying that he's handling it, but in reality everyone around him can see that he's not. Mm. Um, A few things one could potentially do is do an intervention, sit him down with family and friends who are concerned about him, and tell him, this is what we are seeing, we care about you, this is why we are talking to you about this, you need to get help. And actually have resources at hand, meaning we'd like you to go to this center. We'll go with you. So a rehabilitation center. You know, that's one way of going about it. Um, The reality is a lot of people who are dealing with addictions, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, the list goes on. Unless they see the detrimental effect that it is happening on their everyday functioning, work, school, family life, Mm. they're not going to admit to it. But it's, it's also quite a frequent and common thing, right? I mean, 
something like marijuana, I, I think, I don't know, it would be very interesting to see the statistics in, in our communities or even in society in general as to how, how widespread addiction is. It is. Um, marijuana is highly used, unfortunately, even especially with the university college student population. Yeah. But then what, what can we do um, or how, how can we address it more within our communities? Because it almost is like, okay, drugs are bad. That's the end of that. But We have to show the effects of it. A few years ago, Sister Fatima Ali in Montreal put on a drug conference. I, I met her actually. Yeah, she's doing some amazing she's work phenomenal. out there. Yeah. Shout out to you, Sister Fatima. <laughs> Hope she's listening. Inshallah. We'll make sure. Uh, <laughs> she did a conference, in, a three-day conference in Montreal. She brought in speakers who discuss these issues within the Muslim community, Hajj Hassan and Rajab Ali, and she brought in some uh, speakers from the states as well who can speak to the diverse community, and they weren't necessarily Muslims. And so, and she also brought in Alvin Powell, a former NFL player who speaks widely about his former addictions. Yeah, I met Alvin as well. He's, He's spectacular. Yeah. He's an amazing I, I human I think for being. briefly, for people that don't know, so yes. do you remember a little bit about his background? Absolutely. He was a famous football player who became... Um, widely addicted to drugs and it pretty much ruined his career and his life but he got himself back on track and he's become a motivational speaker but not only that he he will help people young people and anybody who's addicted will help them he will come down and and help the family that is uh, that has an issue with this mm. and I remember I, I spoke with him one-on-one -on -one afterwards and told him what I do and he said or later on even over the years when I've had a family who was in trouble I sent them to him he said just send them over so he has his own ways because he will tell you how it is. He will, he will tell you how it will destroy your life yeah. and what to do to get back. And he and he's not a Muslim, but he's a man of faith. And for him, the direction of God helped him get back on track, and it's very inspiring. I was fortunate enough to have breakfast with him, and uh, he was telling us like you know because he's not a teacher. He, he kind of talks to kids on their level. He doesn't like you know he he goes in and he's very real with people. And um, as you said, he's not afraid to kind of get his hands dirty. And I think it was it was almost inspiring just to like hear how much he's done and like how he's turned his own personal um, tragedy or, or affliction or whatever he's kind of been through and he channeled it into something so positive for kind of future generations. Exactly. And and obviously the, 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 the relatability for people of like, you know, being able to achieve your dream of like making it in the NFL and then crashing down to like the position Nothing. that he was in yes and then again off the back of that creating something positive it was just amazing um you're, you're bringing me back to my trip to, to canada now because yes. you just mentioned two people that i met and had like uh, amazing interactions with yes um, and inspiring people that can help when it comes to this issue yeah especially alvin and uh, and in terms of you said you know how can how can we work with this widespread issue within our community mm. it's with these types of events where you bring people that can have huge impacts on young minds to show them because he spoke and this although I work in the field I may not get the addicts per se and I will refer them on for help because we're not a specialized center for that yeah. um, he described how children as young as 10 11 12 years old are being exposed to drugs how and where and this was shocking he goes at the bus stop if you're not there with your kids there could be people smoking up right there um, when they are at school between the time they get or that that place from the playground outside mm. of the playground to the school grounds there's a spot right there during the break if they're outside you know there's that during the lunch break that time frame as well mm. after school when the parents are not with the kids coming home right that time frame few hours if you're not with your child 
that's a time as well. So it was quite frightening. And some of the parents almost could not believe him. And, of course, he's like, I know what I'm talking about because I am the one that sees these kids. And he, he works in that area, right? Like exactly. He, he literally, yeah. Parents were quite shocked to think that their kids could be exposed in those times and places. And I mm. think our community needs to have a wake-up call to see where and how this is getting to their kids. Because all of a sudden, you know, the parents come and say, my child's addicted. How did that happen? I've been such a good parent. So they have to be very realistic in terms of where these kids can get access to all sorts of drugs. Mm. And so having awareness, workshops, psychoeducational workshops, conferences, bringing in people, even if they're not from the Muslim community, doesn't matter. Our kids are interacting with kids who are not in the Muslim community and they're being exposed to this. So we need to have widespread awareness about this and how it affects our families and our kids. No, for sure. I, I can't agree with you more on that. Um, all right, so a complete kind of change of pace here. The second question says, I keep talking to myself and, Im and imagining myself having conversations with others just in my room alone. Furthermore, I keep imagining tragedies occurring and then I narrate the tragedies and cry. For example, imagining the death of a loved one. This can't be normal. I would say it's normal, and I use quotation marks in the sense that we all have thoughts about death or losing loved ones or the fear of losing yeah. loved ones. And we talk out loud sometimes, we speak. I would be concerned if this person is seeing things or hearing things as opposed to thinking about things. Once you start hearing and seeing things, then you are on borderline hallucination. Or you could be dissociating, which is the break of the mind from the reality. Mm. So if it's getting to that point... I would go see a doctor, I would go see a psychiatrist who is a specialist in mental illnesses and disorders that are psychiatric related, so yeah. severe illnesses. Um, I would go that route if, if that's happening. Now with what she's suggesting, she could potentially go see a counselor or talk to somebody that she trusts, but I would go see a professional to talk through these, to process them properly. You know, to... So is she just overthinking things? I think she sounds like perhaps she is overthinking. She's worried about losing a loved one, right? Imagining the death of a loved one. Yeah. Um, and we all have that. You know, if you're very close to your mom and your dad, we, especially as we get older, we worry about losing them. Yeah. Or a child who's coming from a separated or divorced family is more likely to be worried about losing a parent. If they go away or they have to move, visit, you know, one parent or another, they will be fearful. Yeah. So these are normal, normal things that we worry about. But when it becomes a little bit abnormal when it's all they are thinking about and it's limiting them and, and inhibiting them from reaching their full potential, from taking part in everyday activities. Mm -hmm. if, they're, if they cannot go and meet a friend because they're worried about getting hit by a car constantly... Then it becomes a little bit worse. When it's a hindrance on your on your life, exactly. But it, what's interesting is is this notion of normal, um, and obviously you mentioned it now. But I, I feel like a lot of the times people don't people perceive themselves outside of the norm, and they think everyone else is normal, but they're abnormal, and that what they're going through is not the same as everyone else. And I think what I've realized, and even just like you know, we've had various questions over over these two kind of podcasts and. There are recurring themes, even though like the, the intricate details are often different, but essentially people are struggling with the same things. Exactly. Um, and and it's, 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 almost, it's almost normal to be plagued with these kinds of things. Absolutely. And, and that state of, 
of of tranquility that they want is almost abnormality, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Which is which is strange when you think about it, but that's that's the reality of, of the world that we live in. But because we don't talk about these as easily as physical illnesses, then mm. we're always thinking the grass is greener on the other side. We're not aware that a lot of people are thinking about the same things. I'll give you an example to that. A lot of students tend to think that everybody in class seems to know what they're talking about. They look so much smarter, right? They know all the answers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And the hands are up and whatnot. But I can guarantee you that most of these students are thinking the same way. They are terrified of what the others are going to be thinking about them. Are they smart enough? Are they good enough? Are they getting good grades as everybody else? I, I <laughs> This reminds me of uh, when I was at university. I remember I did one module of like Italian. And I would sit there in the class, and it was like, because I'd done Italian previously, so it was like a moderate level, so it wasn't just beginners. And some of the other guys in the room and girls were just, like, fluent and speaking, and they sounded like they knew exactly what was going on. And I I felt completely lost. And then we walked out, um, and I I think one time I mentioned this, and they were just like, what are you talking about? You're, like, miles better than all of us. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm definitely not. And, and it, I, I wasn't because I got a really bad grade. But um, what was interesting was that perspective element where just because, I don't know, maybe when I spoke I had like a decent accent or whatever it was, they thought that I had everything together. Exactly. Um, and, and perspective is really interesting on that because, as you say, like in that environment, you often look around and think, oh, like, look how eloquent that person is. They think, you know, you think that they've got it all together. They know what they're doing in life. But the reality is that we're all in the same we're all in the same we're boat. Just, we all have our own struggles and issues. We just respond to it differently. Mm. We have our own challenges, absolutely. And the same happens with, you know, mental challenges, mental health challenges as well. Yeah. No, for sure. Alright, moving on. Uh slightly longer question here. Uh so it says my friend's mother works long hours from six AM and comes back at eight PM. Her husband is chronically angry and blames her for everything that goes wrong in their house. My friend's mum has three sons and one daughter. She does all the housework with only her daughter's help. She's also always sick, depressed, and has lost interest in anything that can be fun, as she fears her husband would criticize her. Her husband is very controlling, confrontational, and negative all the time. The lady has contemplated leaving the family many times, but stays because of her faith. This is what I, this is what I hear from my friend, who herself suffers the same abuse from her father and shares the feelings of her mother. She tries to fill in the gaps in the family that is left by her father, for example, DIY, showing affection to her mother, financial help, um, planning and looking after the future of the family. However, her father disagrees with all her efforts and constantly puts her down for trying um, to do what he should be doing. However, the father is also perceived to be religious and hardworking. My friend is constantly depressed, negative and has a very pessimistic and anxious outlook to life. What can they do to change their life? It's a big uh, ask. Yeah, that's a big question. Well, usually I would recommend in these cases, if if the family is open to it, to seek family counseling. There are a lot of dynamics in here that if you have open communication, you can work through to understand where the other person is coming from. Uh, why they behave in such a way, why they they interact this way, to break down those lines of misunderstanding, so mm-hmm. to have proper communication. Most cases, and especially within our community, we know people are not going to go to family counseling. They will say, you know, you need to change, you need to accept, I'm not changing. Now, with that in mind, 
um, the person who posed this question, I would recommend that you take a look at learning how to accept the circumstances. You're not going to be in that household forever, so to speak. Um, you may go to school one day, uh, university, go away, um, marriage, um, and whatnot. So circumstances will change. They have not always been this way. They may not always be that way. Mm. This is the present at the moment. This is the strategy when we talk about learning how to cope and accept circumstances. To understand it wasn't always like that, it won't always, but this is what is happening now, in the moment. How am I going to cope and deal with it in the moment? So acceptance, and there's acceptance therapy mm. as a form of therapy to deal with that. To work um, within the limitations that they are given and finding strategies how to cope with it yeah. and not getting emotionally involved when things are becoming difficult and tough. I realize this is so much easier said than done, which is again why I recommend for somebody like that to go speak to uh, a counselor to process, to work through, because they will also give them ongoing support, mm -hmm. how to cope with these uh, these difficult situations, but also strategies to apply with specific cases or situations that are happening within the family. Yeah, and I think it's probably interesting to, to mention as well that at, at the end of the question, um, she had said um, the father is... So I, I actually changed this. So she said, however, the father is very religious and hardworking. Right. Uh, I mentioned to you before that I, I think it's a problem that often when someone is perceived a certain way, we kind of say, oh, they are. But they are. Th yes. They are. So like, you know, he is religious, for example. But obviously what's the kind of evidence above would, would indicate that maybe he's not... Because, you know, I think we need to start appreciating the fact that, you know, being religious is not just praying fasting going to the mosque but also how you are in the household how you treat your family how good you are with the environment like it's it's a it's a very big it's a lifestyle it's it, it, exactly it's a lifestyle it's not just like two hours a week or two hours a day going to the mosque and doing whatever needs to be done exactly um and i think that's and that's why i, I changed it to say that he's perceived in that way and i think that's a, a crucial um point there in terms of just appreciating that we need to stop, I think, um, separating these two spaces of, like, religion and, and the mosque and then, like, everything else. I think, you know, as you say, it, it is a lifestyle and, and that means 24-7, there's no breaks. It doesn't mean that you can kind of abuse your wife and then be good in another setting or abuse your husband, whichever way around it is. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no, I just thought I'd, I'd flag that up. Um, well, that's a reality of what we see in our communities, right? The um, the duplicity. Mm. Take it a step further, perhaps harsher, because I like to say it as it is, hypocrisy. Right? People yeah. look uh, a religious, and again, I use that very loosely here, religious in terms of, all right, praying, fasting, doing the basics. But where's the akhlaq? Where are the manners? Where's the actual application and implementation yeah. of the faith itself? We don't see a lot of that within our communities. And unfortunately, it also happens um, with people who are religious figures, people who have religious authority, people who have an influential influence and an impact on young people. Last night at the event that I was at, uh, where I was speaking about the psychology of knowledge and development, uh, there was a question that was quite interesting related somewhat to this in, in the sense of, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, public figures, Muslim public figures out there who have impact on young minds or even religious figures where in the home uh, 
their secrets are out, so to speak, or there are things that are happening in their private lives. It could be divorce, it could be addictions, it could be anything, you know? Um, and yet, you know, how will this impact our youth then? That these people in these positions, mm -hmm. and I said, well, we're human. First of all, we're all human. We're not perfect. And what is in their private life is their private life, second. Third, when it comes to things like abuse, because there are examples of, let's say, chefs who are on the mumba who are talking about family dynamics, who are talking about how to treat your wife, how you treat your children. And I know this firsthand from my experience working with chefs and in the communities. They themselves are beating their wives and their kids at home. That's a hypocrisy. That is unacceptable. Mm. But we don't have a regulated form uh, or system just like we do, let's say, with doctors and lawyers where if they do some kind of malpractice breach, or ethics, yeah. they're breached, they're re there's regulation with their ethics, even though sometimes, you know, with their patients or with their clients, there there, there are ethics yeah. and codes there that are breached. There are consequences for that. There's not really much of that going on within our systems because as soon as um, that happens, what happens? It just gets public. Mm -hmm. And the danger in that, that we see in the effect of it on our youth, especially is that these people are in a position of authority that are representing the faith they are representing and so what happens to the youth who is just learning about faith or have increased their faith or somebody who looks up to these people in that in that form right and then for them oh well what happened here that breaks their faith yeah. but i think um it's, it's something that i've i've had sort of discussions with people about in, in sort of private settings where I think what I find very interesting about this is that you know we have um, scholars or individuals or, or learned people that we look up to, right? And personally, you know, having kind of met a lot of sheikhs, a lot of uh, imams, and, and people in these positions, I've seen. I think you know the personal side to them. I've seen their limitations. I've seen their strengths and whatever else. Yes. If we look at someone and say that their their area of expertise is history or is fiqh or akhlaq or whatever it might be, let's leave akhlaq actually, let's take, because uh, that's obviously yeah. quite important. <laughs> um, but if it's like history, um, the way I see it is that, you know, obviously we benefit from them in that space and everything else. If they were to step outside or if their akhlaq was to be shown, was seen to be lacking um, in a different you know, in something entirely not related to, to history, is there an issue? Like, what what's the concern? Because I understand that people will look at, look at them as role models, but essentially that's the person's problem who idolizes this person. Right. Right, we should be able to say that, okay, Barak, for example, knows a lot about mental health, but if she starts giving me a lesson on Islamic history... That's I'll, not my I'll, area. It's not her area, right? <laughs> you can't take me seriously. All right, but at the same time, if I saw you uh, disrespecting somebody or, or whatever, I'm sorry to use you as an example, <laughs> That's but, fine. Go for but it. if I saw if I saw you doing something negative, that doesn't reduce your knowledge or understanding of mental health and your ability to educate me and others on mental health. However, I would take my position very seriously if people are listening to me. Yeah. And no, no, but, that, no but that's fine. But, right, but what but I'm saying is, what, what's uh, so it's not about the individual. I'm asking from a community perspective. Yes. How, how do we and how should we interact and engage? Or how do you think we should interact and engage with these people, if at all? Like, is it a case of if you see someone do something bad, you just disregard them altogether? I think it becomes a, a personal choice. 
Mm. It's a personal choice. If you respect this person for their expertise of what they're really good at and what you know that you know they're qualified for, then sure, you know, go for it. If you mm. if you feel that you cannot take this information from them because of A, B, C in their personal life, that's up to you to decide. I don't think this is something we can all impose on other people. Yeah. It's a personal choice, but it certainly is a, a good uh, topic. It's, of it's an interesting one, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can apply this not just within the Islamic co- context in the Islamic world. You can apply it anywhere with politicians. Mm. What they do in their personal life is all of a sudden all over social media and the news. Are they capable of doing their job just because ABC what they've done outside? I think it's the same thing that applies here, mm-hmm. except we don't have a, a regulated form of, uh, of, you know, consequence or breach or anything like that. I think for us, it's more about morals and ethics. Does this person encompass that? Is this person a good representation or a role model for our youth? What's really interesting is that the the election process in, in, in democracies often is not dependent on morality or ethics, right? And And so then what I find really interesting is when we suddenly call to question someone's morality because he or she is an adulterer or whatever else it might be and it's just like well you didn't elect them into this position as a moral authority right. so why are you then pulling them down based on that it's i i, I mean because obviously if 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 you're called in i know we're getting well off topic here but it's interesting yeah but if if, if you're if you've been elected to kind of become a lawmaker um what why why have we picked you as an individual and i think there's there's we're lacking a lot in terms of like at least in in the sort of in the uk i'm sure canada is is similar um but we lack a lot of i think complexity of thought in in the processes that go behind these things Mm -hmm. it's all just very often it's just like a bit arbitrary and then you see issues and fallouts and whatever happens and then it's all all very reactionary reactionary everything we do is very reactionary there's no kind of forethought and foresight that goes into into the decisions i think we should get back to the questions we yeah. could we could talk all day um, but it is related and connected in yeah. the sense of perception these people who for you know throw, put themselves out there as perceived to be religious and hard-working yet on the inside in their home we see the challenges mm. that occur and how and how do you work with that and it does down I, I do believe it does come down to personal choice and awareness yeah um, and and working with what you have in terms of accepting what's around you and, and what you can accept you're going to have to probably stand up at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So how do you deal with someone who was a gaslighter? He was caught leading a double life and now blames others instead of owning it himself. Now, I don't know what a gaslighter I thought this was a genuine typo. But oh, okay. you told me it's not. It's it's a thing. Yeah, so, both Nuri and I were like, no, that's uh, that's <laughs> so, an actual so, term. So what's a gaslighter? So the, the technical definition here is basically gaslighting is a form of manipulation that mm-hmm. seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, hoping to make them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. Well, Basically, manipulation. Manipulation, yeah. yeah. manipulation. So using persistent denial, yeah. misdirection, contradiction, and lying, it attempts to destabilize the target and delegitimize the target's belief. So it's a serious issue, and it happens. I didn't know there was a term for that. That's quite there's, deep. There's a lot of psychological terms we're not familiar <laughs> with. And what's interesting is that these... Behaviors are happening within our community. Mm. We don't see them as perhaps, you know, a mental disturbance or illness or an issue, but it's happening, just like gaslighting, because this is something very common that we have within our community as well. So how do you deal with gaslighters? You cut them out of your life. Now, you ask, what if it's your mom? (laughs) What if it's your brother? Mm. What if it's your husband? What if it's your daughter? So this comes to the issue of Sulat al-Raham, right, as well. so there's a few things you can learn 
to deal with it again. If this is somebody that you are living with and you cannot get away from them, then you have to look at how can I engage with this person without becoming emotionally engaged with their manipulation. Mm-hmm. If there's a chance that this person can come and get help with you, like if you're a family family counseling or couples counseling, uh, maybe you can get counseling so that you can deal, uh, deal with it. Deal with that, yeah. Yes, because there are ways that you can learn from a counselor just how to deal with difficult people. Because this is a form of crazy making, and that's a term also as well, where the other person can project you know, their uh, manipulations onto you and then you feel you are the crazy one. It's a form of manipulation. Mm-hmm. So it becomes very challenging for you to you start questioning your sanity. Is there something wrong with you? What, what's going on here? Yeah. So then this person would be very beneficial to get the support to work through it, find coping strategies, how to, you know, interact with this person, live with this person. Otherwise, run in the other direction. Cut this person off. This is what I call life energy suckers. Mm. You cut these people out of your lives. You reduce the amount of time you spend with them. You can slowly, gradually do it until you cut them off, wean off of them. But if it's family, of course, it's difficult. If it's a you know family, if our family, you don't live with them, you just do the wajib that we know, which yeah. is you know hello once in a while. It could be the minimum that you could do that you are fulfilling your um, obligation as a family member. It's interesting. I'm just thinking of of kind of the next level to this, which is let's say um, you have a friend who has one of these gaslighters or a manipulator in their life, and you can see the harm, so you know to kind of stay away and whatever else. But that person, through emotional whatever it is, can't pull themselves away and and is almost like repeating repeatedly lining themselves up to get hurt, to get manipulated, to get used and all of that. How how would you deal with something like that? How would you deal with How would as... you if if you see someone like mm-hmm. a good friend of yours going through this, you you know what's going on, you try and explain it to them, but there's nothing they're just not accepting or, or acknowledging this. Yeah. Is it just the case of waiting until the person finally realizes what's going on? So this, as you're saying this, I, I, I remembered a scenario mm. similar to that, which is why I was pausing there. <laughs> um, this is very common with, let's say, friends that you know who are in abusive relationships. Yeah, for example, right? yeah. And so you see what's going on and, you know, they're like, no, no, we're fine. Everything's okay. He or she cannot accept the fact that they're in an abusive relationship, perhaps. Yeah. So to be there to support them, but also to put boundaries around you because... They could come to you talking to you about the problems they're experiencing. Mm. It could be so heavy on you. Mm. It could put a lot of weight on you as well. You could get emotionally dragged into the garbage as well. Right? Or rubbish, as you guys call it. <laughs> Emotional rubbish. Right? Rubbish. 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 Um, so you could get dragged into it. Do you want to be there? Do you want to be dealing with this? It can make you feel very depressed and sad, overwhelmed, worried, anxious. And you care for them and you're so worried about them. Some people will either cut these people out... Yeah. Or be there from a distance supporting them because one day they could come to you and say, I'm leaving this relationship. I woke up and I realized this is it. And so at that point you could support them. But I wouldn't completely cut them off if you feel that you can still offer support but not get emotionally engaged with everything because it can be very draining. draining. Yeah, yes, yeah. very much so. That's very interesting. Um 
Okay, question number five. How do I forgive myself for past behavior? I have a hard time letting go despite how far I have come from such behavior. It depends what kind of behavior, of course. Uh, so my answer will be as general as the, the question itself. Um, again, I encourage people who are struggling with you know, self-forgiveness and um, working through difficult behavior to talk to somebody. Sometimes talking about the issue can help you let go eventually, mm -hmm. right? Looking at it from different angles or getting a different perspective will allow you to look at things differently. I think often, though, the perspective um, is that I would assume that because the past behavior or action is so kind of deplorable to yourself, you you feel too ashamed to open up. Yes. So, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you're not going to speak to your best friend as much as you would trust a very good friend of yours or your spouse you're not going to speak to them about it because you're so ashamed yourself. So who, who can you speak to? From an Islamic counseling, like psychological perspective, doesn't Allah tell us he will forgive us for everything? Yeah, that, that, of so course. So with that in mind, let's take it a step further on the spiritual psychological counseling level. Mm -hmm. If we know this, and he is telling this to us through the Quran, right? Who are we not to forgive ourselves if he forgives us? We just read these ayahs and hear them, you know, recited prettily, but we don't really take it and apply it into our lives. This is the biggest, I would say, burhan, what's that in English, uh, evidence for yourself in terms of really learning to let go of things. If Allah can forgive us, who are we not to forgive ourselves and others? Now, this is from the spiritual aspect. You can incorporate that into counseling with a counselor in the process to really take that idea and that ayah and really work on applying it. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully effective when you combine the two, which is why I get so excited about this stuff. Because you don't have anything to say anymore when I said that. I'm done, yeah. That's next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's good. I, I do want to add to that, uh, because not everybody could be at that spiritual level mm. to, to have that impact on you. Let's look at it from a biological level, which also excites me as well. I get excited about neuropsychology. Um, what happens sometimes is when you keep talking about the same issue or the same trauma, especially when we talk about trauma therapy, um, when you start reliving and re-talking about an issue over and over again, you are rewiring and strengthening the neural pathways in your brain, which then strengthens the emotions involved with such an event, which then trigger it again and again for you as though you were reliving it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, and especially in this type of therapy, um, it's good to learn how to bring the memory, let's say, of something, but learn how to break and disengage the emotions involved with this memory. And this is what we do in trauma therapy. And I love trauma, working through tra trauma therapy, rather, because you can apply it in all areas as well when it comes to disengaging from the memory attached to the emotions. Because what happens when people relive something that's causing them a yeah. lot of pain, right? Is they're, whew, they're getting their heart racing again. They feel very anxious. They feel very worried. They feel the pain that they felt of that memory. So in this type of therapy, it learns how to break it. And this can work with the learning how to forgive yourself something as well. There's so much emotion involved, so much shame, so much anger, so much self-loathing, low self-esteem, I would imagine. Um, again, I'm generalizing with what this negative behavior could be. But if you can learn to disengage emotion with that behavior, with that memory, 
that can help you learn to let go as well. That's, uh, that's powerful. Yeah, right? I, I can't really, uh, I can't really come back to that. That's pretty, pretty good. Inshallah, this uh, <laughs> weekend, it's Saturday in Stanmore. Yeah. I'll be um, finishing the series I'm giving. I'll be focusing a lot about how to let go. Okay. And so we'll be talking more about that. Is this so stuff recorded, by the way? They yes, they are recording it, okay, uh, so and they will be releasing it on YouTube. Maybe we can uh, we can circulate that round uh, through the Muslim vibe if, if people want to kind of listen into that kind of stuff. Um, all right. So the next question is is quite a long one. I think the last couple, well, the last one's very long. But um, start with this one. So it says, "I'm from a Muslim family that has never been that conservative, but quite spiritual. I started praying from a young age and really love Allah." However, since I entered my 20s, my mental health became increasingly disturbed until I was diagnosed with bipolar. Ever since then, I have made several attempts to get back on track and change my situation so that I can live a more religious life. I tried moving to a Muslim country, but it didn't work out, and I seem to be sinking deeper and deeper into a life of drugs and un-Islamic practices. My illness turns me into a completely different person sometimes, and I do bad things. It's very hard keeping my thoughts straight sometimes. I've stopped saying my prayers, although I'll try to read the Quran when I can. I don't know if my inability to follow Islam properly is a test from Allah, or I will end up in hell because of this illness. I guess my question or query is for some advice on how to deal with this situation and change it. Allah says he doesn't change the state of those who don't try themselves, but I really am trying. And this person is on a journey. Uh, I would I would say and um, sometimes you know you're in a situation where you do not choose to be in of course mm -hmm. and again with this I I would talk with this person in terms of trying to figure out how they can manage it sometimes there's just some things you cannot change right and that see even I struggle with answering such questions sometimes because sometimes I'm just floored with situations that people come in with and they yeah. expect a, a fix a quick fix or a solution yeah. and you know when somebody comes and says I want to be happy I'm like well you're in the wrong place I'm not here to give you that solution right so this is one of those situations where I don't have a specific solution but the advice that I would give is to learn how to manage and cope uh, with the situation um, and this is the journey that this person is on. I would say, you know, just like we have um, somebody who could be diagnosed with diabetes or other cardiovascular diseases, in our mind, we can grasp the idea of, yeah, you know, this person's diagnosed with it, they have medical treatment for it, and they have lifestyle changes. They learn to live with it. They manage to live with it. Same thing when it comes to mental illnesses. So this person has bipolar and... Um, you know, they're, they're using religion to help them with that and they feel that they have a test and they feel they may go to hell and whatnot. Again, I bring the concept of Allah is all forgiving and he doesn't put upon us more than what we cannot handle. Mm -hmm. And we know all the Quran that we also use as cliches sometimes, you know, like, inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'un, you know, from him, we are from him and to him we return. And one of my favorites, of course, is, um, verily you may hate something and it's good for you. So this person, I, I would say, is along those lines, you know, that this is something that I don't like, obviously, in my life, but it could be good for me. Or they're thinking that they could go to hell because of this. Yeah. Again, we're, we can't judge that. That's between this person and their creator, mm -hmm. right? And their judger, so to speak. Is this person doing everything they possibly can? They're saying that they are. Then that's what matters here. 
they are trying, they're doing their absolute best to reach their full potential. You know, it, it, I, I would see, I see self-hate there as well, self-loathing and perhaps a little bit of self-esteem issues as well involved. And again, you're probably going to think, is this all she says? Go talk to a counselor for the solution? Not as a solution, but as a support to help you work through these challenges. Yeah. If this is something that you're going to be having for the rest of your life, the bipolar you know, challenges, why not surround yourself with the proper support to work through it? And process and work and find somebody who can work with spirituality not necessarily a muslim counselor yeah. if you can't find one but somebody who can understand culture somebody who can understand religion and spirituality so many qualified great counselors out there who can do that essentially this is a journey this person is on a journey with these challenges how are they going to manage the symptoms how are they going to manage their own challenges their own responses and that's why it's crucial to have the right support to process and work through them I think one thing that you said that was really important um, there was uh, about the, the thing about diabetes mm-hmm. and how when we look at physical uh, illnesses and it's like something that you've got, like you, you, diabetes is not like, oh, how do I fix my diabetes thing. and continue? Right. Um, but we don't yet see mental illness in that same way. Maybe because there isn't that kind of physical manifestation of it, like directly. Exactly. Um, so... Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I think often a lot of the kind of questions that come through is like, how do I get out of this? Like, well, you know, what's the what's the thing? Quick fix. What's the quick fix? And and unfortunately, that, that isn't the case. That's not how this works. And it's and it comes, it re, this reminds me very much of the question about being normal. Yes. Um, and it's like everyone just wants to be normal, but like... What is normal? What is normal? <laughs> and, and like you have to make your normal. You have to come learn to come to terms with you and who you are and how you process things and i guess like evolve slowly in that as you say in that journey right that's brilliant what you just said by Thank the you. way i've been practicing yeah no, that's great <laughs> what, what did said, i say you're normal yeah that's brilliant we compare you can use that if you want okay <laughs> thank you <laughs> because that's essentially it yeah. you're normal we're constantly comparing you know everybody else is normal as being normal but what about your normal right this person has their normal living with bipolar mm-hmm. so their normal is going to be incredibly different than other people's right when they go into their manic state people are going to look at them as very high and crazy when they go into their deep depression state people are going to look at them with what the heck is wrong with them they were fine the other day and now they're like that yeah isolated and secluded right so there's so many different ways of different challenges here but it comes down to what you said, you know, what is your normal on your journey? Good stuff. Then you, I, I didn't think it would happen this way around, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting good at this. We may make you a counselor after <laughs> all, yeah. Um, all right, second to last question. Um, how do I cope with crippling depression? I wouldn't say, I, I sorry, I would say I've been mildly depressed as a child, but the sadness wouldn't last that long. In my teen years, this sadness prolonged and got worse when I was 17. Depression started then and I turned to food for comfort. It stayed with me until I was 20 because then I started to go to the gym more often and exercise helped with my mood. However, six months in, my young uncle died in a terrible accident and all of it has come back alongside the grief. Um, I've had antidepressants and counselling, but it hasn't helped. I'm 21 and I would love to die. Existing is a chore. Every day is hard. Wow. Wow, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is now obviously looking at kind of suicidal thoughts. Yes. Um, and obviously a severe depression. 
um, is this is this common this sentiment of like I would love to die is that something that you hear and deal with often this is their normal <laughs> right yeah this is where it comes in right there this is their normal when I have clients that come in and you know I hear this th these terms often believe it or not and including from Muslims I would love to die. I don't want to exist. I want to die. I don't want to be alive. I hear these things often. And as soon as you hear it, you see the reaction that you had to. It's like, Whew. yeah, I get that when I see them, especially when you get three in a row, right? <laughs> it can become quite daunting. Um, it's the normal that they live through. You know, this person has had antidepressants and counseling that they say hasn't helped. What do I say to that? I would say, you know, perhaps try a different counselor, perhaps try a different medication because that has shown to have some kind of effect. It's just like trying to find um, a doctor that you just can't click with, you just, uh, or different friends sometimes. It's, you're not finding the right fit or sometimes the right job, mm. right? It just doesn't, you're not flourishing. So I would say the same thing when it comes to medication and counseling. That's the first part of it. The second part, in terms of when I have somebody in front of me and, and you know, they're talking about dying, so I would work and with them in terms of bringing them back to what is worth living for, for you. Yeah. Because we are all challenged with things that, at some point or another, will make us feel depressed, will make us feel hopeless as well as helpless. And this is what this sounds like here. And when you are living with severe depression, it becomes even more challenging. This is why you get these suicidal thoughts, right? So existing is a chore. And you notice even in the way that we're answering right now, it's low energy, right? Mm. Because it, you feel the, the heaviness of yeah, this, yeah. what this person is saying. And so, you know, it, the, there is no easy quick fix answer to this one either. It's, it's, it's about working through having the long-term support and counseling to 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 just work on the underlying depression yeah. and work on having things worth living for in your life, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friends or family. And sometimes people don't care about that. However, mm. that's what will hold them from killing themselves. And of course, religion. Yeah. They will, I, I'll ask somebody straight up, what are the things that will hold you back from killing yourself? You know, just in a conversation. And they'll say, God, my religion, my faith won't allow me. My parents my sister, or finding something that's important to them, mm -hmm. okay? I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want them to... That's very selfish so, of me. So is your role then building on that sentiment and, yes. and creating their sort of self-worth and identity around that? Absolutely. Build and work with that. Like I said, we, we can make you a counselor just yet. <laughs> and that's it. It starts off heavy at first. You're like, how do I deal with this? How yeah. do I cope with this? How can I help this person? But then you work through what are the things that... Um, that give them some kind of hope or meaning. And when you work with meaning in life, mm. it's very impactful. I don't know if we spoke about this last time, uh, but one of my favorite um, psychotherapists is uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl. Did we mention him no, last I don't time? Think so so he, he was a um, Jewish Holocaust survivor and a psychiatrist, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, or a psychologist. No, he was, he was a medical doctor. So he, he noticed the people in the concentration camps, the ones that perished were the ones who did not have anything to live for. Hmm? Mm -hmm. The ones that survived the camp were the ones 
who had something to live for, believed in God, and found meaning in suffering. And so these are the tenets that Dr. Frankel uh, talks about that are crucial when it comes to survival of trauma, survival of you know these deep depression or or having suicidality, um, believing in God or that's what's holding you right. Yeah. Finding meaning in suffering and love, mm. and if you have those, that's how you will survive. And so if we take these tenets and these ideas and apply it to this person who's struggling. What kind of meaning do you have in your life with this struggle and this suffering that you're experiencing? Now, if we take this a step further from an Islamic perspective, a Husseini perspective, we really connect with these ideas. Meaning in suffering, strength in suffering, resilience in, str- in struggle, right? Mm-hmm. And in suffering and finding that meaning um, for yourself. What And it's very individual. Right. We can we can look at, you know, what Dr. Frankel has taught us here. We can look at the lessons that we learned from Karbala and, and apply it here at a deeper psychological level that can really move us, especially when it comes to having thoughts of wanting to harm yourself and kill yourself. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, just read more Quran. You know, your faith is not strong mm. enough or, you know, read this dua. You just you just need to increase your faith in God. You say that to somebody with a broken leg. No, of course not. Well, then why would you say that to somebody with a broken spirit? Mm. So there's a lot to ponder with that. But I do believe that religion and faith, and especially somebody who is practicing like this young person, um, they can incorporate what we have in examples in our faith, but not, here, go read the Quran. No, go deeper. And, so, and you notice, I went outside of Islam. I went to a Jewish psychotherapist here. And use something that we can connect as spiritual and people of faith. These these ideas we connect with them, mm-hmm. finding meaning in suffering, love, and belief in God, and and we can apply these to to what we know already, yeah. and especially when it comes to suicide. So it's a process. So you notice my answer was multifaceted. It's not just like oh go go do this or go do that. Yeah. It's a process. You have to talk about certain things. You have to find meaning for this person to give them a bit of hope. And you know what? This person may will, may always live with this feeling as well, just like a diabetic would have to live with, you know, the highs and lows of their insulin levels and their sugar levels. It's how you manage it as well. Some days will be worse than others. Other days will be, you know, they'll, they'll be feeling a little bit. They won't have this as um, as daunting as dragging. Yeah. I guess ultimately as well, it, it it comes down to at least the, the way I see it is that it comes down to our belief in the mercy of God. That if if someone has a struggle like you know having suicidal thoughts on a daily basis, I can't imagine that God wouldn't be merciful with them, um, in terms of when it comes to judgment and whatever else. Uh, so it's 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 fascinating because we've gone from the previous question when we were talking about people going on a journey, and you know this is your normal and whatever else. But then when you kind of say that about something as, as serious as suicidal tendencies it's it almost feels a bit um like you're brushing it aside like oh yeah this is your normal like it's fine <laughs> you know just you just think about killing yourself on a daily basis but the unfortunate reality is that that is some people's normal yes right yeah um and it's and we can't brush it aside as we, easily because there could be that one thing that could happen to them yeah. that will push them over the edge and that they will take their lives. And we have seen that in our communities. Mm. Again, because of the lack of awareness of mental illnesses and struggles. Yeah. The lack of support. 
the lack of making it safe for these people to come and talk to somebody without being judged. Yeah. And if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I've had thoughts of wanting to kill myself. I'm not saying you as Salim, but mm. somebody could respond and say, you're going to hell for doing that. That's haram. You're judging. So you're let, being the haram police to somebody who's ask asking you, support. Let me ask you something from, from two perspectives then. Yes. So from someone who's having suicidal thoughts, what should they do? And then secondly, if someone comes to you or comes to me, yes. well, you would be a lot better place. So if someone comes <laughs> to me and says, I'm having these thoughts, what should I do? Okay. So if somebody is having these thoughts, please go talk to somebody. Whether it's a phone distress line, and I know you have that here in the UK, we have that in Canada as well for Muslims. Call somebody. If you're not comfortable talking to an, um, like a non-Muslim, you have the Muslim resources. Please talk to somebody. Because when you're in that depth of despair and something happens to you, you could potentially do something to harm yourself. You could be very tempted to do that. So if you're at that low level, go right away. Go call 911. If it's that dangerous, call the police, call a friend, go to the emergency. Okay? If it's that urgent in the moment. If it's something that you feel that you can, you know, all right, the thought is there, but I'm not going to do something about it. I would still encourage you, you know, call and make an appointment to go speak with the counselor. The second part of your question was, somebody comes to you. Mm. All right? So, Salim, somebody came to you with everything that I, I'm going to throw back onto you now. All right? Because I can tell you what to do, but I want to know what you're going to do and our listeners who, yeah. who somebody comes to you and tells you, you know, hey, Salim, I've had thoughts of killing myself. With what I have told you so far, what can you do? So, so, so before... I guess today, my, my usual response is that I have a friend um, who deals with a lot of this stuff in the community. I just give him a call and I say, look, this guy's going through some stuff. Yeah. Can you handle it? Because right. I'm too scared to mess it uh -huh. up. Uh-huh. You're too scared. I, I genuinely don't. Because as you said, I can say one thing. and I, I think I lack... Um, the skills? Uh, yeah. And sometimes, like I've been told, I lack kind of emotions uh -huh. in some regard okay to, to, to adequately kind of process and empathize with people and, and be able to help them deal with things all right so i'm too scared that if i were to say something or do something that it would trigger and god forbid you know something were to happen off the back of what i said or did so i've always just kind of palmed it away but i genuinely feel like i want to be equipped and i think people should be equipped with the tools to to help people and i've you know, one thing I've learned um, in, in terms of like having having friends and people around me that have, have dealt with things, um, just often like rationalizing it with them. And as you said, you know, that whole process of, of seeking out something to live for. Um, so getting people to think about who would, you know, would anyone miss them if they were gone? You know, like that, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, as we said, kind of building on, on, on that and starting from something very small and then slowly kind of almost creating an argument around the reasons that you should still exist. And, and hopefully that would do the job. That you could live for. You're imposing on them when you say should. You're imposing... Okay, yeah, of course. Right? Okay, so that you could you live want for. It, you, want to, you want to bring it from them yeah. that you could be living for. Hmm. All right. Okay. Because should should is me is saying that you have judgment. to do. Okay. It's yeah. a form of judgment. You want to make it safe. Now, very good. Thank good you. stuff. <laughs> good stuff. I'm still gonna palm it off to that guy because I. I <laughs> it's it because here's the thing. It is scary. Yeah. It's it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. What's wonderful out there is there are these trainings called assist. Okay. okay? 
Um, I forget what it stands for right now. I took this training long ago, but I do it daily with my clients. But it's a form of training yeah. for people, for suicide training, basically, to help, you know, every any person can go get this training and it'll give you the basic tools. If somebody comes to you, what to do? Yeah. You're not going to counsel them for life. You're not going to, but it's it's like first aid. And there's also something called, by the way, mental health first aid. And there are lots of people who are trained in that. Mm. You can take courses. And it's anybody, frontline workers, anybody who's interested in learning how, you know, basic one-on-one for mental health aid, I highly recommend you take this course. And I'm sure they have it in the UK as well. I was also thinking um, with things like depression or cr- chronic depression, right? Mm. You've got the, the, the individual might be on antidepressants or seeing a counselor or whatever else. And I don't know if this exists, but I think what would be really beneficial is training and support for their partners or, you know, the significant people in their lives to learn to kind of manage and help on a daily basis. Because often it's a case of, oh, like that whole thing of like brushing it, saying, okay, this person is seeing Barack, she'll sort it out. No. I've just got to kind of wait (laughs) till the job is done. But so I think that is something that needs to be spent a lot more time on, right? Like we need to focus on that. Is that, is that being done? This is what I mean by creating the culture of awareness when it comes to these illnesses and challenges. Because when you have the support within the community, if we normalize it, and this this has been my agenda for the last few years with this, Mm. to prevent any more suicides, which is what took place a few years ago in our community. When we normalize these things, just like, again, physical illnesses, then this person is not going to feel so isolated. They're more likely to get help. They're more likely to speak with each other. And so far, what we've done here in London is every event that we've spoken at, we've tried to normalize mental illness, get people to really talk to each other. When we say, how are you doing today? What's up? Usually it's the stiff British upper lip of yeah, and that's it. Move on, right? I'm fine. <laughs> fine. I'm fine. We have that too in Canada too, by the way, the I'm fine. But no, take it a step further. How are you? What's happening in your life? What is going on? When you know this person is not doing that well, go further, be there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they will say, you know, back off, leave me alone, or they don't want to talk about it. But then you could say to them, I'm here for you if you need to talk. Yeah. Show that you care with no judgment. People are constantly worried about being judged and brushed aside and being shamed. So when you work on that culture around us, of really caring, checking up on each other. Mm-hmm. Again, just like you would when somebody you know has come out of the hospital. Someone who comes out of the hospital because they've been institutionalized for trying to take their lives, we run the other direction because we don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. It's scary. Whereas, it should, go, talk to them. You know, you could ask them, why did you do this? It's okay. We're here for you. We love you. We care about you. We don't want you to feel this way. What can we do to support you and help you? Yeah. It's okay to do that and be open and break down the, the emotional barrier. So to answer this, that, that part of the question from a professional point of view mm-hmm. is to do all of this in the counseling process itself. Try to make them see what is important for them. Yeah. Because there's bound to be something in their lives that is holding them there. Work with that. Bring meaning to it. Make a safety plan and a contract. That's what we do as well. It's either a verbal, either a verbal contract or a written contract where we will have it. And it's like written out and we'll have, um, you know, when I'm feeling this way, who can I call? We write down the phone numbers of who they can call. The resources around them in terms of the, the supports so of the hospitals or their counselor or whoever that they mm-hmm. see. A best friend. Um, we even have a line. You may think it'll be silly, but it's very effective. I will eat chocolate. 
<laughs> chocolate has been known to have some antidepressant healing qualities, especially dark chocolate, right? So we'll have that in there as a joke, but it's actually real because that sugar rush that you get will make you feel a little bit better in that mm-hmm. moment kind of thing. But also alternate um, uh, strategies. So people who like to cut impulse, right? They, they, they want to feel pain to get away from the pain that they're feeling. So they will cut or do something else like that, burn or, you know, pull out hairs or or scratch. There's lots of things that they do. I'm saying this not so people can actually go do it, but we're aware of what is self-harm, right? So then we'll have a little paragraph or something in there. What can you do instead of this that's a healthy replacement? For example, an elastic band around the wrist. You snap it. It gives you that bit of a a shock and, you know, hormone rush there. But it's not going to actually harm you. So something to replace that behavior with until you get the help that you need. Mm. So sometimes you have to write things out like that. Yeah. And I always throw humor in there. I throw humor in there and I'll look the person like this and I'm looking at you right now intensely and say this. I can't help you if you're going to harm yourself. It'll take them a second like you're <laughs> observing right now. And then you'll laugh because you're like, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if I harm myself or kill myself, how's this person going to help me? Yeah. No, that that sounds. Uh, I was going to say it would be it would be interesting to 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 be in a position and kind of go through the the journey and be one of your clients because <laughs> it, it, it would be. I I want to see that the contract and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Maybe we can do a role play with a client one day, or even actually go through a role play. We can we can look deep into my soul. Absolutely. And, and all the, the, the trauma and, and everything I've been well, through. Inshallah, there's no trauma. Inshallah. I don't know. This is what I'm worried about. So I, I, I stay away just in oh. case there might be something we, Interesting. <laughs> we don't know. Tell me about your childhood. No, no, not right now. Um, I, to be honest, I think we have one more question. It's quite a long one. Okay. Uh, and I think it's an important one. I was going to say we do it next time. Really? Yeah. Really? It's up to you. Go for it. Okay, we've okay. Let's 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 get through this. Yes. Uh, so the, the, it's like an essay. Um, all right, we've actually cut this one down as well. Yeah. So I'll, this is like the the, the highlights. Um, I'm in a relationship with someone who's extremely in love with me at times, but for some reason isn't able to forgive or forget things. He would think of even small fights as arguments and being disrespectful towards him. Recently, I lost my temper and said a lot of things to him, like he takes me for granted and is selfish. And is a selfish person who doesn't care, etc. Which I realized wasn't right and, and I apologized for um, for quite a while. We started talking again, then randomly he won't respond to my messages. When I approached him after two weeks, he said, this is the end of our relationship because he can't live with a woman who disrespects him. When I brought up how I had forgiven him multiple times and he got angry saying, I'm arguing with him. Our relationship isn't the same anymore, no matter how hard I tried... Um, no matter how much I've tried to calm him down. He now asked me to promise him that I would listen to him and I won't question anything he says or does. And I obliged. He asked me to make a promise only because I reminded him that he will be held accountable for the promises he made to me. Um, he has straight up told me he doesn't love me anymore, but if he would get married to me, it's only because he wants to honor those promises. Uh, where I stand right now is I've been emotionally attached to this person and maybe more. I know a woman has to give in to make a relationship work, but I'm unable to understand his state of mind. Every time he messes things up, he would apologize only um, if he is reminded of it in the light of Islam. And later on, he would end up blaming me for being the cause of it. 
He does seem mentally unstable and I'd want to be on his side to help him through, but I don't know if I'm making the right choice. I've been told by my family and friends that he isn't the right person because he disappears randomly, tends to shift blame on me, forgets his own mistakes, etc. I think that's that's basically it. So in a situation like this where someone finds themselves with 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 a partner who they who they perceive to be mentally unstable or men- mentally unwell, um abusive if not physically then at least emotionally. Yes. Um but there's that kind of um maybe harsh but like almost like I see it like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing where it's like you know there's this like affinity for your captor where it's like you feel sorry for them and and you know you're 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 going through a lot and you're having to put up with a lot but at the same time you can't pull yourself away what's the term that you learned today that you didn't think was a term gaslighter that's right Okay. manipulation yeah projection okay this, this is full circle we're back we're back to that one all right so this is a gaslighter potentially yes now you want the short or quick answer or both <laughs> we've, we've been going for a while so let's let's uh, do let's do quickly both Okay. My answer to this, yeah. advice to this, run in the other direction. What we see here is a classic case, and although I don't have uh, the ability to diagnose, but I can certainly tell you what these symptoms relate to, what kind of uh, personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Borderline personality disorder, which is classic, which occurs in our community more often than not, unfortunately. This type of behavior, this manipulative behavior, lifting somebody and then dragging them, loving them and then hating them projecting and gaslighting them right manipulation um you know apologizing and recognizing oh i shouldn't be doing this but then repeating the behavior and when it comes to you know abuse this is classic abuse as well right Mm -hmm. so the mental psychological emotional could be sexual could be financial you name it now if this person can get away from this person do it and i'm saying this from the mouths of people who have been in relationships with people like that this is their advice Run in the other direction if you can. Because this person, if they do not get the proper help, they're going to stay like this for the rest of your life and make you feel like you were the crazy one. It is a crazy-making illness. But what about uh, the obligation that you feel to help them? You do what you can. And if this person is not willing to get the help they need, because Mm. this is is the hardest personality disorder to treat. Mm. Because first, the person will not admit that they have anything. They will say, it is your fault. Everything is the other person's fault, not themselves. They will not own any responsibility to it. How can you treat somebody if they're, they're not admitting that there's an issue there? Yeah. Second, once they are in therapy, it's a long process. Because this is biological as well as personality. And when we're dealing with the biological and personality level, this requires a lot of rewiring in the brain restructuring a lot of cognitive behavioral and there's a specific form of therapy for this called dialectical behavioral therapy and it's it's uh it's doable but it's very challenging because you're trying to basically rewire your personality Mm. right so this is you know if this person does plan on staying there there's a book that i can advise (laughs) called um uh what's it called of course it slipped my mind right now but basically um Stop walking on eggshells. Okay, look it up. It's for those people who are living with partners and family members who are BPD Mm -hmm. um, that will give you strategies on how to manage living with somebody like that. It is a crazy-making personality disorder that will make you feel like you are the one who's losing your mind. 
This person, like I said, will lift you and drag you and just throw you all over the place, will threaten to leave, will engage in um, a lot of addictive type of behaviors, including having affairs on the side and, and drugs and addictions as well. I'm not saying all of them are like that, because these are classic. If you read textbook, it's it's that. Yeah. And so, so do, do people, like, would someone listening to this um, realize and acknowledge that, oh, that might be me? Or are they just completely oblivious to the fact? Most will be like, oh, that's my partner, when it's really them. Really? Yes. That's why I, I mean, like, I, I hear so much of this in our community, yeah. but even in the general population, but it is so rampant within our community, especially in cases of abuse. We also uh, categorize it in the under the category of narcissism. Hmm. Our viewers could be listening to this and say, ooh, narcissism. Yes, it falls. Borderline BPD and narcissism are very close, and they're in the same category and family of the uh, personality disorders okay. yeah so it's not easy it's it's not recog- it's not easily recognizable i i can tell you straight off the bat it's just, what did you tell me or, or what did i say earlier as soon as you told me yeah. you didn't even finish and i said BPD. you wrote down bpd yeah like, right away because i don't know what that was until you actually said it but explained okay. it yeah, yeah, yeah it's classic but we don't know what the title is you will not know unless you're in this situation you will not know unless you know somebody who's in this situation mm-hmm. you may not know like i said until you hear all of this and then you're like wow you can identify it. You can away. identify. Yeah. I do hope the person who is in such a relationship and is the one who is exhibiting this can wake up and be humble enough. So just I, I quickly, have you had experience with people that have come to this realization that, that they are or they have BPD? Yes. And so I send them to a specialist depending uh, on what they want to work on. And then to, to kind of get the help they need I'm guessing it's quite a long and arduous process it's not just a, well none of this is really a quick fix <laughs> but but is it is it something that you learn to live with or is it something that you can overcome because it's quite a, I think it's quite specific and niche because obviously you're either manipulating someone or you're not um, so is it something that you can overcome and learn to deal with or is it just that self-realization and, and acknowledgement it's both you can live with it yeah. and it's a lifelong process or you know struggle that you're going to live with mm. and i do believe you know kun kun, just like allah says be it can be right you, if you really want this to happen if you really want to make these changes in your life you're going to have to do what it takes and it eventually will kick in i do believe that this is where mind over body comes in it's very possible to do that mm. however you have to be humble and, and aware and, and really take up the responsibility of saying, yeah, you know what, I, I need to do this. I need to work on this. Just anybody, like, let's say, who has anger management issues, right? If you really, really want it and you're really going to work on it, you're going to go take the courses. You're going to figure out what kind of meditation works for you. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to really work in the split second when you have that choice to flip out or actually make the choice, I'm going to breathe and work on it. Yeah. It's, it's the same kind of idea that it is possible to work on it if you are open and you are willing to work on it. Anything is possible, including these personality disorders. You just need the right supports to help you through it. Yeah, for sure. Um, this has been, uh, time has flown. I'm looking at the, the clock. It's like time has just flown by. What time it's, is it now? It's been, oh, an wow. hour. It's been over an, an hour. hour. Yeah. Amazing. Um, but no, this has been fascinating. Um, thank you very much. I'm I'm glad that we we got to do this in person as well. And hopefully next month we'll be remotely again, unless you somehow make a trip down or if or I'm you in, come if down I'm in Iraq, I'll have to bring <laughs> Nuri and like the banner and everything. Um, but no, thank you very much for your time and I guess the continued time that you give to the Muslim vibe. I think that 
um, obviously the work that you do on a on a on a daily basis, but also this kind of thing is like I I see it like these people wouldn't have had an avenue to ask these questions, um, and so it's important that we've we've been able to facilitate that. And even if it's just like the entry level and the first step they make on this kind of journey, it's it's something, right? Absolutely. And and so hopefully we're we're able to to do this more, and that this is something that kind of really snowballs, and I'm really keen to push um this stuff out there as much as possible because it's it's fundamentally important as you say we've seen in the past kind of too many deaths too many sort of lives ruined and plagued by these things without getting the proper help um just for example things like personal tragedy where nowadays we i think we, we really help and support young people who are going through this but 20, 30 years ago, if you lost a parent at a very young age, you were just expected to kind of like man up and get on with it as a guy. Um, But that appreciation is now there in the community. And I think it's, it's great the work that you're doing um, and others in the field. So uh, inshallah, you just get to carry on, I guess. Inshallah. And, and and for people who were, I guess they're not going to know about this, right? But this week while in in London. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be too late by the time it goes. This is going out in two weeks. So. Oh dear. Yeah, there's a few events. Uh, okay, maybe we can promote it later. That way, we'll, we'll figure can, something so out. So people but can yeah, come yeah. and attend. Like you're saying, this awareness yeah. of these but events. But as you said, what was interesting, and I asked you this, I was like, how, what was the ratio of men to women? So tell me, what was the ratio of men to women at last night's event? Uh, there were more women more than women. men. Uh, 150 signed up, 90 women. I think they counted 90 women. Yeah. Yeah. And so about 50, 60 men. And, which and, I think is still which good. Which is yeah. great. And what about the age ranges? I'm, I'm more interested, to be honest, in the men, because I think women there's a lot more openness to discuss and and and, and embrace this side of things but amongst yeah. the men like were there older people there yes i heard there were okay there was a range oh, that's very good yes so so it's slowly happening yeah and so there are some good questions from the men's side as well inshallah tonight at the uh, next event we'll have a we'll have a bigger crowd as well inshallah brilliant okay well thank you very much for, for joining us we'll have all of your, your your social media profiles listed below so people can follow you and and you know see the work that you're doing um i think that concludes another episode of the muslim vibe or the tmv podcast by the muslim vibe sponsored by wahid invest thank you for listening um thank you for watching and please subscribe follow and everything else that's it assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh wahid helps you become a halal investor in minutes clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us here's how it works First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.